Welcome back. You are listening to episode number 71 of the Water and Stone Church podcast. My name is Dita Randolph, and this is the sound of my voice. And I am Jenny Randolph. As we uh, gather around, obviously, one of the things that, that's at the forefront of my mind is that today is Father's Day. Yeah, happy Father's Day. Yeah, thanks very much. And You're a super good dad. Well, I do try. I, I, I certainly... Uh, uh, mess up just as much as I succeed, but my heart's always in the right place. And uh, we've raised some amazing children. Our kids are just incredible, and, and I'm so grateful for whatever little part in that I have. Um, as a lot of you know, you know, Sunday's kind of a working day for a preacher's family. So when it's a Sunday-based holiday, like Father's Day, Mother's Day, and, and so on, um, we tend to celebrate it the day before. And so yesterday we went, to, you guys took me to brunch, which is, I know it's kind of a cliche Father's Day thing, but I love brunch. You love brunch. You are a brunch person. <laughs> yeah. So it's not cliche for you because it's your favorite. If you are the kind of person who can go out to lunch, it means you control your own destiny. It means there's nowhere you have to be that day. That is a Agreed. That is the most prosperous meal. I mean, some people say like a big expensive dinner. No, no, no. Anybody can go to dinner because it's already after five. If you can go to brunch, you are winning at life. So <laughs> so we went to brunch. We went and saw the new Incredible sequel, which is incredible. It I, was very good. It. it was very sweet. Yeah. Jack Jack steals the show. Yeah, and uh, it was it turned out to be a good Father's Day movie. It was There's a some sweet, dad it was stuff a sweet going on. Father's yeah. Day movie. Yes, it Absolutely. worked out nicely. Yeah, and, and uh, then you guys took me to Lowe's and got me some dad stuff, and it was just really really good. I had I had a really great day, and I am grateful for the three of you. And uh, then today we had an amazing service, and uh, I love the fact that uh, on Mother's Day we gave out flowers to all the moms. And we have a very broad definition because you can be a mom and not be a biological mom. You can be a mom and not have adopted even a baby. You can be a mom and as long as you are fulfilling that mom role, we, you got a flower. And in exactly the same way today, we, we, you and I yesterday kind of agonized about what do we give the dads? Well, because dads don't get anything. I have never been to like a church service on Father's Day where they hand stuff out to dads. I just, I've not I don't seen think it. I have either. And I've been so to a lot we of were, church Yeah, so. exactly. So in our research, we couldn't find any ideas. And most people are like, okay, bring food. But we already bring so much food on yeah, Sundays. And, and we bring so much food to the men's group on Tuesday nights and all that. So I, I didn't feel like food... Food was too easy. It's a cop out. And so, you know, maybe it's a little bit uh, given into the stereotype. Fine. I'll own that to some degree. But I got to tell you, the decision we made yesterday was that every dad and once again, whatever you get to decide if you are our, our dad, a father figure, whatever, there's no judgment at Water and Stone. You know that if you are a dad in whatever sense of the word applies, you get a roll of duct tape. And every everybody in there, every dad grabbed a roll of duct tape, and it was. I think it really was a hit. Absolutely, a couple of our single moms grabbed a roll I'll of duct tape what, as I well. Have, I have never turned down a roll of duct tape or a cup of coffee or a donut in my life, and I can't imagine any reason why. It was just really, really great, great service. And I, I know I say it a lot, but I'm so grateful for this church family. It really feels like we're we're doing something in the world, and so I'm really grateful. One of the things I mentioned was that last Sunday. We were driving around, and we happened to be close by the neighborhood that we did our Habitat for Humanity build at uh, some months ago. And now you can see that people are living in those houses. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I mentioned it this morning before the service. It was just really, really neat to see that it happened. We right. did a thing. We're part of this bigger thing. And I think that there's something just so beautiful about that. And I'm so grateful for all of that. And I'm grateful because 
This is, I think, what churches are supposed to do. This is, I think, I know, what religion is supposed to do. And I got to tell you, there's, you know, I, I spend too much time on Facebook. I know that. I need to cut back. But it's, I had had it wired for a long time where I didn't even go on Facebook. I had it set up to where if I tweeted something, it would automatically go to Facebook. And if somebody responded, I would get an email. So I actually never had to go to Facebook. I could deal with it through Mm -hmm. Other means, but Facebook sort of tightened up the the ways you can get in and out. So I had to go to Facebook, and then we started the church, and we had to start promoting through Facebook, and it's been great. But that means I spend way too much time on it. Yeah, I I it's a it's a necessary evil, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Yeah, I'm it's... I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook, but Facebook has been really. You know, very very good. To it has me. been yeah. has been good to get the word out, and you know, if we for our groups, there there's not anything that has come along to fulfill that void. Yeah. But if anybody's out there that has a really good idea that can come along and give Facebook a run for its money, um, I'm I'm in full support. <laughs> I, think I think the that's world wonderful. is waiting for that. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you know, so and especially, look, I have a personal Facebook account, and I have a. Dieter Randolph public figure Facebook account and we also have fun for the church I know you have one for the this day show so there's a lot of layers my personal Facebook account there's a lot of I you know I I'm politically active and so there's political stuff but I think it's important to keep that separate from the church stuff and so I do but because of political stuff I'm on there a lot and I really try to bite my tongue sometimes but I also believe that bad things happen when good people don't stand up so there's a line you know when somebody says something dumb enough times I have to stand up and say something mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much good it does but at least I feel a little bit better about it yeah well but, I, I think that it I think what it ultimately does is you get to put a stake in the ground about what you believe and it lets people know where you're coming from and if you want to hang around me if i am your people then continue to follow me and do it if i am not then you're you're welcome to exit you know stage left Mm -hmm. yeah and so there's there's that and generally those moments where i have to bite my tongue a little bit are restricted to the political end of things Mm -hmm. for reasons i think everybody's pretty familiar with right now but Every once in a while, something will come along on the religious, spiritual spectrum, and I have to say a thing about it, or at least want to. And there's a quote that's been coming up. In fact, it came up just a few minutes before we sat down to record the podcast that I wanted to mention. Just to, I'm going to say this, and then it'll keep me from posting anything on Facebook about it. But it's been coming up a lot, and, and I think that people are wondering, how do we at Water and Stone respond to it? What does it mean for us, given the fact that we're in a church that we call ourselves religious, for example, how do it work? And the quote is, and I'm sure you've seen it or some variation of it, anybody who's on Facebook, the quote that I'm looking at right now is, a religious person will do what he is told no matter what is right, whereas a spiritual person will do what is right no matter what he is told. In other words, religious people are bad, no good, and they don't think for themselves. And well, spiritual and people are awesome and I free. I think that and, that's, it's, you know. first of all, I think it's a cheap shot. Yeah. Uh, and I think that religion doesn't have to be a negative thing. And in fact, I would I would flip those. Wouldn't you? Well. A, a little bit because I I get a bad taste in my mouth about, well, I'm I'm spiritual. And so what that, what that really means is when somebody says that is I don't have to change, I don't have to move, and I am justified in staying exactly the same, and I am not going to educate myself any further. 
Well, yeah, I, there is a, a piece of that for sure. But the thing too is that a lot of times people go, you know, the old religion I used to be involved in, or that a thing I grew up in, let's say, made me feel bad. And they were so cold and judgmental. And the thing is, a statement like the one I just read is very cold and judgmental. You're saying that everyone who's religious is not a free thinker and they're bad. They're part of the problem. And look, I know a lot of really ugly things have happened in the name of religion, but there's also the case that a lot of wonderful things. And just like a lot of things, like politics or business or parenthood, for example, you know what? There's some bad parents. There's parents who have done unspeakable things. It doesn't mean parenting is bad, and it certainly doesn't mean we, we should quit doing it. The example that I use a lot is you get food poisoning every once in a while at a restaurant. It doesn't mean restaurants are bad. Right. It means we need to pay attention. And the truth is that if you look it up in the dictionary, here's the thing. I've been waffling around a little bit. Here's the thing that I want everybody to know. As far as the dictionary is concerned, spirituality is about the way you feel. And religion is about what you do. Your mm -hmm. spirituality is an internal, intimate connection between you and higher power, you and God, you and spirit, hence the name. Religion is when you feel something and you do something about it. So as a result, you can be religious about Captain Kirk versus Captain Picard if you have a, a, an inner feeling that you do a thing about. You can be religious about vegetarianism or whether or not Boston is the best arena rock band. I prefer Journey. But you can do that stuff. So to say somebody's not religious is like saying, well, I don't do anything. And that's childish. We need people who are spiritual. We have that feeling. But we need people who do a thing about it. So to amend that quote, I think spiritual people, if all you are is spiritual, it means that you're just sitting on a mountaintop somewhere navel-gazing, and that's great. But you know what? We got a world that needs changing. The other thing that gets me is that, like, probably somebody that thinks that they're spiritual put that or posted it or shared it or something like that. But if you're really spiritual, um, you're not judgmental, so you wouldn't be going after religious people in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's kind of a yucky And so thing. it's yeah. like, whoa, 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 spiritual person. Um, spiritual people don't, don't do that. Yeah. Um, P.S. But so, anyway. Yeah, so, so blah, what I'm blah, saying blah. is be spiritual and also be religious. Right. Because that's what the world needs. Thinkers and doers. Be both. So now we'd like to share with you our Water and Stone Sunday worship service for June 17th, 2018. And the title of the lesson is The True Vine. And it is number seven in the I Am series. So the scripture today is John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, most of us don't have a clear understanding of, of vine stuff, of grape culture, Right? I mean, it's, it's a tricky thing. When I see a quote like that, it's gone now, but when I saw a quote like that, I think about, you know, we shall sell no wine before it's time or something like that. And, and I suppose there's a spiritual message there, too. When you have a problem, put it on ice, that's nice. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. As always, Jesus was very careful to tell, tell and talk and teach and preach in a way that the people who were listening would understand. The people there knew that kind of a message. If he was talking today, he might say something like, I am the router and my father is the internet service provider. I don't know what he would say, but it would be something different. It would be appropriate to the people there. 
I guess what I'm trying to say is, as Christians, as religious people, it's not our job to try and make ourselves fit into a different culture. It's our job to try and apply the lessons where we are now. That's how the world gets changed. This isn't about trying to go back in time. When somebody says, what would Jesus do? The answer isn't, let me grow out my beard and get a bathrobe. If Jesus was around now, he probably wouldn't be dressed like Obi-Wan Kenobi. You know what I mean? It would be a different thing. So the question becomes, what are you going to do about it now? How do we get past misunderstanding? How do I understand? How do I make this message relevant to where I am now so that I can go to where I want to go? But that's not the misunderstanding in that part, whether or not you know a lot about grapes and vines and all that. The understanding is in a single word in that passage that people have all kinds of attachments to, and it's the word Father. Man, that's a tricky word. So much about what we know about religious expression and, in fact, so much about what we know about culture stuff has to do with whether or not you've got feelings about that daddy word. You know what I mean? I mean, think about the things that we see on TV and in the movies. I mean, my favorite series of movies, the Star Wars thing, is really about somebody with daddy issues. (laughs) The whole story. His name is Darth Father. Come on now. It's one of those things. Think about every commercial you ever saw. In commercials, look, I know that motherhood is incredibly hard. I'm not saying that. We had Mother's Day. But in the commercials, mom's the one who fixes it. She's there. She's there to make it okay, to clean the boo-boos, to make it okay, to, to work a bunch of jobs, to fix it all, to be there. And it's beautiful, and I love that, and there's truth to it. But dad in the commercials is the one who might blow up the house trying to make a hot dog. Right? He's the one who painted the wrong thing the wrong color. He may have painted the dog. He's the one who's cleaning a fish on the freshly sterilized counter. Dad, in culture, is the one who, is, who needs to be watched because something bad is going to happen. That's what happens. When people don't have a sense of the dad thing, that sense of distance gets filtered through the things we say the art we make, the commercials, the stories we tell, the songs we sing. I'm not saying you have to get along with your dad. It's worth a try. But there's a lot attached to that, and not all of it is on you. Fair enough? But what I am saying is what is on you is if we fix our dad idea we get a clearer understanding about how this whole thing works, about how we can relate to God. So much of what people do is, uh, I don't know, what do you do about this God thing? In the same way that on Father's Day, it's, I don't know, what do you want to do about this dad thing? What do we do with Pop? I was at Lowe's yesterday, and I can't tell you how many people were wandering around trying to figure out whether or not dad wants a crescent wrench or a bag of charcoal. Just, I have no clue. What does dad need? What is, what is dad? What's the dad thing? And so often it's, I don't know, he likes eggs. Let's take him to brunch. It's fine. I like brunch too, but it's a Hail Mary pass, some pun intended. There's this thing that happens, and if you just change the nouns around a little bit, it's, I don't know, what do you want to do with God? Uh, God likes church. Let's take him to church. Same thing. And look, I like church. (laughs) I'm happy that you're here. But if the church thing is the same as the brunch thing, then a year from now you're going to be eating the the same eggs benedict you're eating today, if you know what I mean, spiritually speaking. And it's time to move forward. It's time to change something. It's time to 
grow through something. And so much of religiosity is focused around this idea of what's up with dad? I mean, if you know your history, Judaism is carried through the mom. You know that? You know that idea? That it doesn't matter what your dad was. If your mom was Jewish, you're Jewish. That's the deal. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But a big one is, we don't know what's up with dad. Honestly, that's the deal. And so often, the dad idea is, he's not there. Or if he's there, he's not crazy about me. He's someplace else. And if those are my ideas, then it's easy to have that same concept about God. I mean, we use that word father. So if dad's somewhere far away and I can't attach to that idea and it's weird, then I create a religion based on this absentee concept. How many times have you been to a place on Sunday morning and the whole theology was wait till your father comes home? In one way or another, different words, maybe, maybe not, wait till your father comes home. And I get that, but on the other hand, the only thing for me to do in that theology is wait. Meanwhile, the world is happening. Meanwhile, life is happening. Meanwhile, I've got this calling in my own heart, and I'm supposed to just wait? There's got to be more to the story. That's right. Thank you. It's like a tent revival in here all of a sudden. I know that's right. There's got to be more to the story, you know? And so we need to work on the way we think about dad. It's true that people grow up with this idea of a distant, angry dad, and I get that. And some people think that's how religion is supposed to go. Sometimes people think that that's how God feels about you. But you know better. We talked a few weeks ago about how when Jesus talked about God, he used the word Abba, which is a baby talk word. It's a loving word. It's not a distance word. We know that when Jesus said, you have this idea in you of wanting to take care of the kids in your life. That's how God feels about you. There's no distance. There's no judgment. And the story that Jesus tells, the daddy story, is that prodigal son story. You know the story. The kid goes to the dad and says, I want my stuff. Does the dad in the prodigal son story say, tough? Does he make them listen to the lecture about how they had to walk uphill both ways in the snow when I was your age? No, none of that. No guilt trips, no Dr. Phil stuff. No, no, just here. I love you, and I believe in you here. That's what Jesus is talking about. And yeah, you know what? The kid goes and messes up. We know the story, but he comes home. And when he comes home, what does the dad do? Is there some kind of spiritual, I told you so? Or does this dad in the prodigal son story say, are you okay? You're here. You did it. You're back. It's okay. That's the idea of fatherhood that we should take home with us. That's how God feels about you. Are you okay? And I don't know if my kids are aware of this, but whenever they go do something, when they come home, the first thing they hear out of my mouth every time is, you okay? But look, I don't have this whole thing mastered. <laughs> but I sure do try, because I've got it in my heart. Now, like I said, I don't know what your experience is with your biological dad, with the, the male energy in your life. I'm trying to be as generic as I can because different people have different father things that happen to them and through them. I don't know what your relationship is with all of that. If you're a daddy, I don't know what your relationship is with the stereotypes 
of either the goofy guy who might blow up the house from the commercials or the distant, angry, wait-till-your-father-comes-home guy. For some people, the dad stereotype is like he's some kind of time traveler from the past who's just here to tell you about how things used to be. It's like a science fiction story. And I don't know what to do with this guy, but I'll listen to the stories about how it used to be, and then I can go do my thing. But I'm telling you that your understandings about the dad idea, I'm not talking about your relationship with your dad, your understandings about your dad idea are going to dictate your understandings about the God idea. If you clean up your dad thought, you're going to clean up your God thought. That's how this works. That's the connection. And so when you look past the stereotypes and the ideas and the emotional baggage and the stuff, what does dad want? This is the same question people were asking at Lowe's yesterday. What does dad want? At the end of the day, whether or not your physical dad was, was good at expressing it, what dad wants is to know you're okay. What dad wants is to take care of you. What dad wants is to protect you, to clean up, to heal, to bless, to serve and protect. That's what dad wants. That's the dad vibe, so to speak. More than anything else. But that pure, sweet desire gets filtered through all kinds of garbage. It gets filtered through the commercials that you've seen. It gets filtered through, is this okay for a dad to do? Is it manly to care? Can my kids, is it okay for them to see me cry or to see me vulnerable? Is it okay for me to give them a hug? Is it okay? I don't know. We grow up with these weird ideas. Ward Cleaver leaves in the beginning of the day. Nobody knows where he goes. I think he's working for the mob. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> don't get me started on like Homer Simpson and Peter Griffin. What are we supposed to do with these pieces of information? One of my favorite television dads is Hank Hill, and his quote is, if you weren't my son, I'd hug you. <laughs> but that's what we get from culture, so we don't know. And on a personal level, I've felt those things, dealing with my own dad and being a dad. I've had those moments, and I'm sure you have too in whatever way. Is this okay? Am I good? Is it okay to say these things, to feel these things? I've got these feelings, but I don't know, is it cool? I didn't see James Bond doing it, so maybe I'm not supposed to either. Not a great dad example, but we'll go there some other time. You know what I mean? But once again, and this is something we say in one way or another every single week, the thoughts that you have absolutely dictate the experience that you have. The thoughts that you have dictate the experience that you have. If you think the world is a terrible place, you're going to have a terrible experience because you get to say, doesn't change anything outside of you, but it changes how you interact with the world, and that makes a difference, right? So if we've got these inner feelings of love and wanting to care and protect and serve, but they get filtered through garbage ideas, we have a dysfunctional relationship. That's how it works every time. You know how sometimes when you want to translate something from one language to another, some of the words don't match because both languages don't have the same words, and so you have to tweak things and sometimes just drop stuff? That's just what happens. You can have fun with Google Translate if you're super bored doing that. <laughs> don't, don't do it right now. But anyway, in the same way, if I've got this beautiful love vocabulary in here, but I've got to translate into dysfunctional angry, I lose important things. So it's time to translate. It's time to fix our dad idea if we're going to fix our God idea. It's time to do it differently. It's time to clean up. That's what dad wants you to do. Isn't it always? Dad wants you to clean up. 
My favorite cleanup story is a weird one in Scripture. It's another gardening story. It's a story of Jesus and the fig tree. Do you know the story? Not everybody does. People don't tell the story because it's a weird story. I love it because of that. But people don't tell the story. You know the story. Jesus and the guys, it sounds like a band, Jesus and the guys, are on tour. And Jesus is hungry. And he sees a fig tree. You will know a tree by its fruit, we're taught. Except this fig tree, no fruit. Not even a Newton. I didn't know I was going to say that, but it worked out all right. I'm going to keep on moving. Nothing. No, no fruit from the tree. But he's hungry. And he says, you know what? We're done. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but if you know the story, you know what I'm saying. Jesus says, if there's no fruit from this tree, if this is not fruitful, then nobody gets anything from this tree. I don't know what the disciples thought. If you remember reading that story, take a minute and remember what you thought, because this doesn't sound like Jesus. This sounds weird, right? And the disciples come back later, the next day, depending on the Bible translation, and the tree is withered down to the roots. I mean, nothing left. Roundup can't even do such a good job. It's gone. Now, like I said, people don't like to tell that story. They don't like to tell the story because if you don't give Jesus any credit, it sounds like he's throwing a tantrum or something. It sounds weird. People don't like to tell the story because it sounds funny. I mean, if you go to the fridge and there's no Pepsi, the answer isn't to start hitting the fridge with a baseball bat. That don't make Pepsi. I tried. You know what I mean? So what's going on there? But we're willing to give Jesus a little bit more credit than that. Bless you. That's not why people don't like telling the story, I think. I think that people don't like telling the story because it's a story of Jesus saying no. No. We're not going to do this. We're not going to go there. It's a story of Jesus saying, this does not bear fruit, therefore quit it. There are those people who think that spirituality is just a matter of saying yes to every single thing and just floating around on that. If you were more spiritual, you'd love me more. If you were more spiritual, you'd put up with my dysfunction. If you were more spiritual, blah, 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 blah. That's not spirituality. Spirituality is a process of cleaning, of filtering, of pruning, Spirituality is a process of saying, okay, what bears fruit in my life? And what do I need to get done with? This is a holy virtue. God wants you to clean your room. That's what this is about. People do know the story of the mountain moving. You know that one? Jesus says, if you have faith in your heart and do not doubt, you can say to the mountain, be up and cast into the sea and it will be done for you. We love that one because it's so big. It's such a... Cecil B. DeMille level miracle, right? We love that one because we've got stuff in our lives that we want to move. And people quote that story because they want prosperity, right? They quote that story because they want the winning lottery ticket or they want to fall in love or they want the new job or the whatever it is. And they go, hey, moving mountains, I can do that. We know that story. But what most people don't know is that that mountain story comes right after the fig tree story. I mean, same breath, next sentence. It's the same story. And there's a message there. The message is, you got to tear down before you build up. The message is, you've got to get rid of something before you say yes to something. The message is, just like Dad says, you got to clean out your closet before you get new pants, so to speak. Spirituality isn't a matter of what can I accumulate. That's never what it's been about. It's about what can you get done with. It's about how can you clean. It's about what do you choose. 
When you think about it, that's what a, a gardener does. Gardening is the process of choice. You decide what seeds you, you want. You decide what ground to plant in. You decide what tools you use. You decide what season. There's songs about this. You decide a lot of things. Gardening is choosing. You don't just throw the seeds everywhere. There's a parable about that. You know what I mean? Being a gardener means choosing. Being a spiritual person means choosing. It means looking at your life and deciding that, you know what, there are things here that do not live. And so I'm going to stop giving them my energy. This is a big deal. Part of gardening is a process they call deadheading, which is, of course, when you play Jerry Garcia music to your... No. Can't help myself. You know what deadheading is? I didn't. I had to look it up. But it's the process of when, there's, when you've got a vine or a, a blossoming tree, and there are some blossoms that are dead, but they're taking resources away from the ones that are thriving. And so you sweetly, not in anger because that's weird, you sweetly remove the ones that are not fruitful so that the ones who, that are can survive. Think about your life. There's a lot of people giving a lot of attention to a dysfunctional relationship because they think they're supposed to. There's a lot of people giving a lot of attention to a job that makes them feel like a loser because they think they have to. There's a lot of people doing a lot of things because they think they get some kind of martyr points in life. I got the high score. Nobody likes me anymore. I win. That's not how it works. I've checked. Look at your life. Are there things that are getting your time and your attention, this sacred power of your attention that God has given you? Are there things that are getting your life that are not bearing fruit, that are not making a difference, that are not helping anybody? The question becomes, why? Spirituality isn't just about saying yes. Spirituality is about choosing the yes. Jesus said, I am the true vine. I'm the connection. I'm the way that this stuff works. If you want to live a life that works, listen to what I'm saying. Live this life. Pay attention. And my father is the vine dresser. In other words, he'll take care of the rest if you tend your garden, if you pay attention. That's all you have to do. Your job is to tend your gardens, to pay attention to where life is going in your life. So what gets your power? There's a lot to choose from. We've got the internet. What gets your attention? What gets your love? Now, we've asked questions a lot. And one of the questions was, what goes forward? Remember, we talked about that last week. But the question today is, what's the connection? What's the connection? Ask yourself of the things that you're doing, of, of your relationships, of your conversations, of the television that you watch, of your role models, of your situation with your dad, of whatever it is. Ask yourself, what's the connection? In other words, does this help me connect to spirit? Does this help me connect to what's true? Or is this more drama? There are people who think that they're not supposed to connect to anything and then they have to medicate in whatever way to live through it. When what we want is that connection. I once knew a man who was a big, scary guy. 
And we didn't have a lot in common, but we could talk Bible. Now, we use Bible in different ways. He believed in a lot of different things. And when you got close to him, you felt the fire and brimstone coming off of him. Big, scary dude. But one time we were at a table and a lot of people were talking and he pounded his meaty fist down on the table and he said, if it doesn't lead to salvation, there's no point in talking about it. And it was like E.F. Hutton spoke for just a moment. Everybody got quiet. But he had a point. I would use different words, maybe, maybe not, come to think of it. But if it doesn't connect me to God, if it doesn't move me forward, if it doesn't remind me of what's true and beautiful, if it doesn't save something, then what's the point in talking about it? No more just orbiting around the same eggs benedict relationship with God anymore. Ask yourself and be brave in your asking, what's the connection? In the relationship where you go on the same dates over and over again, what's the connection? Does this connect to love or are we just going through the motions? The job that, well, you get paid, but you feel like you're dying inside. What's the connection? Better to live in the cardboard box and be making a difference in the world than have a nice car and be dead inside. What's the connection? What's the connection? And you know that. Everybody knows that. It's what your daddy was trying to tell you. You know it. It's the thing that you're hungry for. When you're frustrated with your life, you're really saying, what's the connection? I need this. I'm hungry for it. And you feel it in those moments of inspiration where you find those thin places where the the distance between you and what's true, you and what's beautiful, is thinnest. And you can feel that something's happening here and that something is spirit or beauty or love or truth or inspiration. You feel those moments when all we want is to connect. All your dad wants is to connect. He's got a goofy set of tools. Don't buy him more tools. Connect. Everything else will work out if you get out of the way. Everything else will work out when you decide what gets your energy. Everything else will work out when you get rid of the stuff that doesn't deserve your time so that you can connect to what does. Everything else will work out when you remove everything that's keeping you from listening to that still Small voice that just wants you to be okay, that just wants you to be loved, that just wants you to be free. Because, after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you very much. have been asking these questions and this is the seventh question that you have asked and the question that you asked everybody in the service was what's the connection and I really really like that and you know we don't we don't post the answers to the questions we just do the um that you do we don't we don't share those oh, the, that, the yeah, questions after, the, questions the, service, after yeah. the service we don't share that in in this podcast mm-hmm. you actually have to come to church to <laughs> participate in that but one of the questions that that popped up today was about how do i talk to somebody about father's day or about their dad who has lost their dad who's their, their father has has passed away and you know my dad passed away about almost eight years ago or so, I just had to kind of 
pipe up and address it. I know it was, you're the person that, I'm the person that asked the questions, no, you're listen, the person that answers it. I think it was but, great. I think it was really great. My response was, just listen. And you can have that connection, not so much by talking or telling them what to do, by just being with them. And so for me today, you talked a lot about fathers and you talked a lot about changing our idea about dads and and what that dad image is to mm-hmm. us. And and I loved, I loved what you did because you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's, they're the two extremes, right? It's, it's your uh, either a complete idiot or your terrifying overlord. Super powerful, yeah. Or super powerless, absolutely. Yeah, those are the poles that our our dad idea seems to revolve around generally. Yeah, and you're such a beautiful example of that because you're neither. You're, you're. I will say this though that <laughs> you no really honestly with without even without even doing that um, or joking or anything like that. You really command respect from your children and you did it in a way that wasn't scary or violent or goofy or or any of it. And I think that that is very commendable because it's a it is a it's a tightrope that that you have to walk. And I think as moms, we get a little bit more leeway um, as far as that goes, because Moms are supposed to know everything. I think it's. I think it's. That's also a double-edged sword. Sure, but it's not Mother's Day. It's Father's Day. So we're going to stay on as that. As an authority figure who's present, right? But whereas the dad stereotype is some kind of distant authority, right? And that doesn't do you any good. Moms are allowed to feel. Now, look, I can see from the outside. Here's me looking over the fence as a non-mom, but I can see that the mom job is incredibly demanding, and sometimes it feels incredibly unfair and everything. And women in our culture, you, you don't get a fair shake. I'm not saying any of those things. I totally, totally, I want to have that conversation, but that's, I'm not. Right. It's not to our speak focus. Right. It's not our focus today. I'm not going to do mansplaining on Father's Day. Oh, yeah, but, please. But at least moms are permitted to feel, for example. Dads are, if they're permitted to feel anything, it's anger. If they're permitted to feel anything, it's anger. And so. No fair. You know, it's one of those things. And um, what all of this means is that we tend to not be allowed to know our dads at all. And I think that that's a loss on both sides of it. I think that the miracle of the duct tape is a great example of that because we don't know what our dads want. It's one of those what do you do with your dad situations. And and the fact that it's easy to figure out a mom's day gift – and it's very challenging to figure out a dad's day gift, is says something. And so once again, and, and I said this during the service, and I think I think I said it again towards the end when I was wrapping things up. I'm not asking you to get along with your dads out there listening because there's all kinds of stuff, and I think what I said is there's all kinds of stuff that has happened and not all of it's on you. It takes two to tango. But what is on you is to reform your idea about what fatherhood means. And so how to talk to somebody who's, who's got a dad that is either unapproachable because they, they've made their transition, they passed on, or unapproachable because you can't see eye to eye. Right. Sometimes it, one's not necessarily worse than the other, or at least doesn't feel that way sometimes. And uh, it's tricky. But the place of contact is there's just God, right? There's only one presence and one power. And so can you get in touch with that closeness? And come at it 
through the other way. How do I talk to somebody? How do I console somebody? Model the oneness. And Jenny, one of the things that you said to me a very long time ago uh, about your daddy and just in general is you have to be able to say that you did your best. Right. And once again, this is something that came up during the questions. Sometimes doing your best is getting over your ego stuff and your issues and showing up and being there, admitting when you're wrong, <laughs> even when you're not sure if you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it, it means that. Sometimes doing your best is 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 uh, just putting up with a little bit. Sometimes yeah. doing your best is saying, I love you so much that I can't participate in this dysfunction because this is hurtful and it keeps things toxic. And so tough love, love you from a distance kind of a thing. Doing your best is up to you. That's between you and God. But you have to be able to say that you did. So how do I help somebody else? Show them what your best looks like. Yeah. I love that. And I and it that builds bridges. It builds connections. And it gets you out of the place of, punishing your dad and punishing yourself I think with my dad you know he he had he came back he did several tours in Vietnam he had some you know family challenges in the past he and my mom were divorced and he was kind of a loner and I you know I mean he was never diagnosed with it but my feeling is is that he really suffered from PTSD Mm-hmm. And he couldn't stay in one place for very long, and he would come, and you could see that look, and he would get real antsy. And then, and it was time for him to move yeah. because he couldn't, he could, he just couldn't take it yeah. emotionally. And so I think that prevented him from building real connections. So my job was not to change him yeah. or to get mad at him because he couldn't be around as much as I wanted. My job was when he was around to make those connections. My job was not to judge him or, you know, bring it up all the time. He was who he was. And I chose to accept that. And man, when you make that choice, you are so much happier. And it enabled me to become the best daughter to him that I could and the best daughter to him that he would allow. And and it's such a and it's such a freeing thing when you take off all of the labels, when you can take back your personal relationship and take off all of the social things about what you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, what what fatherhood looks like, what what being a child looks like, and you can just deal with the person one on one. And that really hit home for me today too. So if you are struggling with this idyllic or fairy tale relationship with either of your parents, um, it's not gonna it's not gonna be that. They can't end up being everything that you need them to be, nor should they. And fair. I think I think parents get a lot of pressure, but kids have a lot of pressure too. But meet that person on an even playing field. Strip away all the pretenses. Strip away all the things that you hoped and dreamed for, or hoped that your dad would be, or because hoped that your you. mom would be. That's not because, them. Exactly, yeah. and 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 that's that's you. That's not them. And when you start to see somebody for who they really are, you see the beautiful parts of them. You see the trueness come out. And I tell you what, and I did it years ago with him because obviously this is not just a you know a one time event. It's a it's a practiced thing. That sure, you have I saw to do. you go through it. Yeah, but 
again, it's, it's so freeing. And so I was able to enjoy him so much better when I wasn't throwing all that garbage, when I took down those barriers, when I took down all of the stuff, um, all of the, you know, bravado about, oh yeah, I'm fine and I have it all together and blah, 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 blah. And just be honest and be true. And that is what we're getting at. That is the core of what we want. And, you know, you might have a parent that you can't do that with. And that's okay. But there will be other parent figures in your life that you can do it with. Mm -hmm. There will be close friends. And if you have children, you can be that for them. I, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud of the way that we have raised our kids is there are no barriers. They know exactly what I think. They know exactly how I feel. And I think they get the maddest when I don't even have to say anything <laughs> because they're, they're like, stop, I know what you're going to say. And I don't have to say it because they know me so well. And I just don't say anything and I just walk out of the room. And those are the beautiful moments is when you have instilled that, when they know what you would think, they know you so well because, that they can form that. Because you have taken a moment to give your best. And when you do that, you can let them go. Mm-hmm. Your kids know what you're going to say because there's a level at which it's in their bones. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think of things that you have been taught, whether or not it's from a biological parent. You think of things that you've been taught that stick with you. Mm -hmm. Every time I look in the rearview mirror when I'm driving, I think of my grandpa who taught me how to when it's safe to change lanes. Yeah. You know, it's those things that go forward. And we talked about tradition a little bit last time. But right now, this is like the companion piece to the prodigal son. Sometimes you have to parent your parents, right? And the prodigal dad is the one who says, no strings, go and do what you do. And when you come back, I'll be here mm -hmm. because I love you and I trust you. And I know that you've got to go on this journey. I remember when you and I were at Epcot Center. I told the story in men's group last week. You and I were at Epcot Center waiting for the fireworks to start. And I remember we were right in front of the Japanese pavilion. And uh, the kids were finally old enough, Miles and Rainey were finally old enough to where they could go the two of them together, they were safe enough, old enough to go, we're going to go on a ride. You guys watch the fireworks. Right. And Those uh, are glorious moments, yeah, by the and way, it, to but watch it was, your you know, kids grow. It was one of those moments where it was a little bit uncomfortable, too, because it's like, are these guys okay? Mm -hmm. It's a big place. Of course, we had been there a million times. They knew they could probably navigate through it blindfolded. They're together. They watch out for each other and all that. So I knew they were safe, but it was one of those moments. But as it happens, in the crowd of people, we were sitting next to this old hippie dude who was just great. Yeah. And he told us his life story and he was talking about how his kid is grown now and what that means because we got to talk about our kids. And he kept saying, life is a journey, man. It's not a guided tour. Life yeah. is a journey. It's not a guided tour. And I'll never forget that. And as you know, Jenny, whenever we're walking in that part of Epcot and we walk past Japan, there's that beautiful, that gate, that yeah. big red, I think it's called a Heaven's Gate, something like that. I don't know the Japanese for it, but you, you can see it. It's, out, it's, it's in the lake, the big red wooden thing. And we walk by that and every time one or the other of us will say, you know, life's a journey. It's not a guided tour. And that's actually a really good piece of prodigal dad advice. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to let go and sometimes you have to let go of your parents too. And that means letting go of those expectations and just letting us be. That's part of how to do your best.
this is the part of our show that we call Check It Out, and this is where you can find us and what we're up to and all kinds of other stuff. And in the interest of things, we want to do a little bit. Uh, we're going to try a little bit shorter uh, check it out phase uh, of our show. So I just want to tell you, first of all, that the best place to find out everything that we're doing is by going to our website, waterandstonechurch.com. Yeah, that has everything that you need. And if you're interested in any place that we gather, anything that we're doing, it's going to be there. At the bottom of the page, there are links to our Facebook, our Instagram, all of it. And it also has a link to our YouTube. And I do want to talk to you about our YouTube because it is really, really amazing. There is some beautiful content on there. Go and subscribe. I think I think that's it. I think that's enough said, right? Take a minute, subscribe to the YouTube, go to waterandstonechurch.com. It's huge for you. But of course, the centerpiece of our calendar is our Sunday services. We want you to be there with us on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. We meet at the USF St. Pete Harbor Hall, and the street address is 1000 3rd Street South in St. Pete. Every Sunday at 11, people start gathering as early as 9.30, but honestly, stuff really gets started about uh, 10 minutes before the service. We have a slideshow that also talks about our calendar of events and stuff like that, and it's a time for fellowship. Grab a cup of coffee and hang out for a little bit before the service starts. But once again, 11 o'clock every Sunday, Harbor Hall. And I also want to let you know, if you'd like to stay more connected with us, receive our newsletter, see what we're up to, get text messages on the regular, all you have to do is text I am ready, all one word, I-A-M-R-E-A-D-Y, to 84576. And that is going to get you connected with us. It's going to prompt you to put in your name, your address, your email, um, all of it. And you can share as much or as little of it as much as you want. So... Go ahead and do that if you'd like to stay more connected with us. It, it will be worth your time. This podcast is recorded at Pinfeather Studios on the comfy orange couch. And the head honcho of Pinfeather is the handsome and strong Raina Randolph. She did an amazing job this morning singing. Yes, she did. And she's one half of the music that you hear. The other half is the lovely and talented, multi-talented uh, Miles Randolph. He did a good job, too. I am too. a proud papa today. Yeah, yeah. This podcast is supported solely by you. And you know what that means? It means all kinds of things. Go to the website, waterstonechurch.com. Tell your friends about what we're doing. There's a donate page that tells you how you can donate electronically or shop at Amazon in a way that benefits us. Take a minute when you're at iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and write us a review. That helps promote us too. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's huge as well. But by and large, the most important thing that you can do to help support us and keep the fires burning around here is show up. Be there for one of our amazing service projects, our sunrise, our sunset. Most of all, Sunday mornings. Be there. It'll change 